Test, test. Okay, there
Good morning. Good morning. I want to welcome you to the West Irwin Church of Christ. We are so glad to have you here with us. Thank you for coming to worship with us this morning. Um, attendance card. This is attendance card time. Yeah. And so in the pew back in front of you, you'll see a little card. I believe they're white. Logan, are they white? I should know this. Yep. Yep, and they'll say attendance, and you'll just grab it out and fill it out for us, and that'll help us out a ton. Uh, for our schedule this evening, we've got the reflections class as usual, and then for our youth group, uh, we're going to have a middle school lunch devo directly following this service, and so any middle schooler, 6th through 8th grader, welcome to head back over to the Lighthouse. Uh, we'll hang out, have some lunch, spend some time together, and that'll end at 1. And then tonight for our youth group, uh, we'll have an event in the Lighthouse at 5 p.m. Uh, we're going to paint with Bob Ross. So come learn how to paint some happy trees and some happy clouds, and uh, it'll be a good time. So speaking of happy, I want to pass along some, some great, great news, some happy news. Um, our youth group just returned from a week down at uh, the Impact Church of Christ in Houston, and it was hot and muggy and just an incredible, incredible week. Uh, we helped run uh, inner city VBS for there were oh th- there were two different VBSs going on and we had about uh, seventy or eighty kids most of the days that we were uh, helping run a VBS for and then we helped with a food pantry served over three hundred and fifty families and just made some amazing relationships and, and memories all along the way and to end the week. Uh, the coolest day of the week, we ended up going to Galveston, going to the beach down there, and uh, our very own Annie Moore, the daughter of Emily Taylor, decided to put Christ on in baptism in the ocean. It was an awesome moment, and within minutes of her uh, getting dunked, getting out, uh, there was a double rainbow over the ocean. It was, uh, we'll have some pictures sometime, I'll, I'll, I'll show you. I'm sure, sure you'll see some in the bulletin, but you talk about a, a God moment right there. That was it. It was awesome. Um, as one of our students told me, he said, I think we just witnessed a miracle. And I, I think, think I might agree. Um, God is so, so good. And I want to invite you into that this morning. And so I'd ask that you'll stand. Uh, we'll start this morning off with a prayer, and then I'll hand it over to Logan for our worship service. Father God, you are so, so good. Um, Lord, we, we see your presence, we, we see the evidence of you in something like a double rainbow over an ocean, and Lord, we see your presence in worship uh, w- with fellow believers. And so, Lord, I pray that as we turn this morning over to you, Lord, I just pray that we would fix our minds on you, and Lord, receive our worship. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah, shout
I once was lost in sin, but Jesus Do not stand for me. <clears throat> Before we have our prayer, I had a, a thought that's been on my mind for the last couple of weeks. And since I only get one thought at a time, I thought I'd share it with you. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, in my view, has the perfect definition of edify, which is one of our acts of worship. It says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. During these studies of Job, uh, we see that while we know the Father is present during trying times and we don't always understand his ways, we have our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we encourage one another in times of trouble, as well as celebrate times of joy and accomplishment. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you are our Father and that you care for us. That. You love us and you are ever-present and will never leave us. We're thankful for all the blessings you provide, but most of all for your grace, for sending your only son to die for all of us, for we would be lost and hopeless without this great sacrifice. We're thankful for the avenue of prayer and for the ability to commune with you each first day of the week by commemorating the death, burial, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. We are also thankful, though, Heavenly Father, for the ability to commune one with another each week, to build one another up, which is to edify, to offer a handshake, to express our gladness to see one another, to 
raise our voices together in song and in times of sadness and trouble to remind a brother or a sister that you are in control. We pay for, pray for patience as you work in your way and in your time in our lives. Today, Heavenly Father, we celebrate our new sister in Christ, Annie Moore, and her decision to follow in the footsteps of our Savior. May we assist her in being a shining light in the darkness that often surrounds us on this earth. Also, this morning, Heavenly Father, we humbly lay these names before you and ask for your blessings upon each one. We ask that these brothers and sisters will feel your comfort and your presence and your healing power. For the Skipper family and the loss of Sue, and for Danny as he continues to heal from his own health issues. For the Van Bus Kirks and the loss of Aki's father. For Michael Hurley and the loss of his grandmother, Elizabeth Martin, and his aunt, Martha McWilliams. For Alice Frick, aunt of Terry Frick and Jeannie Ross. For John Murray, that his health issues will continue to improve. For Chuck Gillum and the loss of his wife, Linda Gillum. For Harold Davis, that his knee surgery is successful. For Darcy Stiefer, as she travels away from home for her safety and her success as she continues her studies in Memphis. Heavenly Father, may we all continue to pray for each of these families in the difficult days that may follow. We ask that you bless the leadership of this church. You will give us wisdom and lead us as you would have us to go. Bless our staff as they work to teach, to lead, to connect, to preach, to care for our family here. Bless our teachers. Be with our deacons as they go about their work each day. It is our desire to please you, Heavenly Father. However, we often fail you, and we ask for your forgiveness. We ask that you be with us and bless this worship service this morning as we continue. Forgive us when we fail you. We pray through your Son, Christ. And amen. As we prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper, let's sing How Deep the Father's Love. How deep the Father's love.
Good morning. As I began to think about the comments that I might make about during this portion of our service, uh, I always thought and remember we always have a what we would call a communion song, something that sets the tone for what we're about to do. I took one of the songbooks out of my library, and it's not the one that we have in our pew this morning, but I, I, I took it out, and I looked in the index under communion songs, and there were about 30 that they had listed. And so I thought, well, that'll give me some thoughts. So have you ever been wanting to participate on a team and you were the last one to get chosen? Not a very good feeling. So I went down the list and I took the last song. Didn't know what it was. Don't think I'd ever sung it. But I picked the last song and I opened the book up and I read the words and I said, this is perfect. This is absolutely perfect. The name of the song is Why Should He Love Me So? Three short verses. And I want you to do this. As I read these words, when it gets to me or my, in your mind, think of your name as I read these words. Love sent my Savior to die in my stead. Why should he love me so? Meekly to Calvary's cross he was led. Why should he love me so? Nails pierced his hands and his feet for my sin. Why should he love me so? He suffered severely my salvation to win. Why should he love me so? Oh, how he agonized there in my place. Why should he love me so? Nothing withholding my sin to erase. Why should he love me so? Why should he love me so? That is a question for the ages. The first verse of that song answers the question. Love. His love. You know, we were his creation. Created in Christ for good works that we should walk in them. Good works are our way of saying thank you for the grace that has been bestowed upon every one of us in this room this morning. You know, in order to live every day looking for and participating in good works, good opportunities, we need to go into the week with a full charge. Our worship on the first day of the week gives us this opportunity to encourage one another, give us the energy and the strength to do his will. This time together, partaking in the Lord's Supper, sets our mind on things above, trying our best to understand this love that we've been talking about. And it gives us a chance to thank Jesus for that sacrifice. Let's pray. Lord, as we partake of this bread, 
we remember him on the cross making that salvation, that sacrifice for each one of us. And we pray, Father, as we partake of the bread, as we eat it, we think of him. And it's our way of saying thank you, Lord. And we want to live as best we can and thank you for that sacrifice. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to give credit where credit is due. That song that 
I quoted for you was written by a gentleman by the name of Robert Harkness. He was born in Bendigo, Australia. Born in 1877, died in 1961. He was asked, what was your inspiration for this song? And he said, when I think about I titled it, Why Should He Love Me So? I thought about how unworthy I am at times. His creation, and I have failed him, and yet I think about what he did for mankind and what he did for the world. And so he wrote this song. He wrote many others. But that one and just the one we sang blend together perfectly. Let's pray. Father, now we continue our memorial service in this supper where we partake of this fruit of the vine which clearly represents to us in this room the blood of your son, Jesus, the perfect sacrifice without blemish, without spot, lived on this earth without sin and was able to be the atonement for every human being who has ever lived and who will ever live. Thank you so much for what he did for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I will not
blessed nation, a blessed state, a blessed city to live in, and a wonderful congregation of people. The Lord has clearly blessed us. Let's pray. Lord, we do take this time, apart from the Lord's Supper, but to share a moment thanking you for all that you have done for us. You have blessed us with health, with prosperity, with housing, transportation, food. Father, the list goes on and on and on. But spiritually, you have blessed us with salvation. You have blessed us with Jesus. And we have remembered him this morning in our Lord's Supper. But now we thank you for this opportunity to give back to you a portion of the gifts that you so bountifully give us every day. And we pray, Father, that We will not give out of our excess, but we will give sacrificially, looking for opportunities to do good. And we continue to ask you to bless our leadership here at West Irwin, where the monies that are collected will go forward to help and save and seek the lost. There's so many good works, Father, and we ask you to put those in front of us. Give us those opportunities to help. Thank you for all you do for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I come bringing some good news to you. If you have a beach trip coming up, you can cancel it because uh, Miss Donnie Cook and so many others have worked really hard to bring the beach to you. And this is our VBS this summer. As you can see from the pictures, the theme is Lava Lava Luau. Now, whenever you think of VBS, you usually think of just a, a handful of days clumped together, and that's your VBS. But we're doing something a little different this summer. So we're spreading it out over 12 different weeks, every single Wednesday. And what this is nice for is it builds consistency. And even if a family has gone on a trip one week, well, we got another week coming up. And so Donnie says, uh, with the 12 weeks of EBS, kids are learning that our emotions, so emotions like anger and jealousy, were given to us by God. Uh, But God doesn't want these emotions to cause us to sin. So like, for example, when Moses 
uh, struck the rock or Cain when he killed Abel, being able to handle these different emotions that God gave us. And so how this works is uh, we're going over um, four different emotions, and it's split up into three different weeks. So with each emotion, there's Bible lessons, games, crafts, different stuff like that, the normal VBS um, stuff for each emotion. There's great volunteers helping each week and have lots and lots of visitors, which is awesome. And this is where we turn, uh, turn the ball back into your court. Uh, if you're saying, man, this looks so great. I really wish that I would have signed up. Or, man, I've, I've got a neighbor next door with six kids under the age of five. I wish that I would have told them about it. Tell them, tell them. We've got the whole rest of the summer left. Bring them on. Uh, if you want to sign up, if you want to help out, we've got seven weeks left. And I believe it was seven weeks left, but we've got weeks left. Uh, come help out. Help out with VBS. It's a wonderful ministry, a wonderful way to serve the church and serve our youngins. And we hope that you'll be a part of it. Thank you. At this time, we would ask that our blast kids be sent back to class and also pass attendance cards to the aisles closest to you, and we'll have some young men gather in those. Let us stand for our song before Bill's sermon, and we'll sing Salvation Belongs to Our God. Salvation belongs to our God, who Salvation belongs to our God. 
wisdom and thanks and power and strength, all of those things be to our God forever. Like the Psalms, Job is a great example of speaking your heart to God. That is the title of a book by Lynn Anderson that's also in your uh, worship handout in your outline, Speaking Your Heart to God. The Psalms is a great example of that, and so is Job, speaking your heart to God. Sometimes we do that in a positive way like we've done today, offering God uh, our praise and thanksgiving, gratitude for all of the wonderful things that are going on, some of which we have seen uh, examples of and heard examples of uh, this morning, the wonderful mission trips that our groups have been on, one to New Orleans that came back just a week or so ago, another, our young people to work with the inner city church there in Houston, do so much good, the wonderful blessing and good news of Annie's baptism, what a, what a wonderful, wonderful moment that certainly must have been, and of course, the VBS that's ongoing week after week on Wednesday nights. I hope that you will spread the word about that. Uh, Because that program is going really well, and there's a lot of fun that's being had, and there's a lot of words about the love and word of Christ that's being shared uh, every Wednesday night. And that's a wonderful thing. We have a couple of adult classes that meet during that same time. So our We Connected class meets right behind the chapel. Our chapel class continues our study through Acts. Sometimes we'll have a special singing night or some other activity planned. But our VBS kids are going to be going through their program every Wednesday night. And what a blessing that is. And so like the Psalms, Job is a great example of speaking your heart to God. But it's not always positive, right? There are some times that we go through things that are hard. Sometimes that we go through things that are difficult. Sometimes that we go through things that don't make us happy in that sense of the world. The circumstances that we're facing um, bring us difficulty. But that doesn't mean we don't speak our heart to God. Many of the Psalms do that in a, in a very uh, difficult situation. The psalmist pours out their hearts to God. In the same way, the book of Job is an opportunity for us to speak our heart to God about things that we don't particularly like, <laughs> about some things that don't make sense to us, about some times that we're suffering through. Speaking your heart to God. Job has lashed out at his friends because they were of no help. Matt, I appreciate you bringing up that passage of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Very consistent with our classes. Many of our classes this morning spoke of that call from the book of Hebrews to encourage one another. As we consider how Jesus died on the cross for our sins once for all. All of this meant to say, to remind us that we should not turn our backs on this great salvation, but also that we should encourage others not to turn their backs either. And that's really why we're here today, right? So that we can worship God together, but by doing that together, we're encouraging and edifying and building each other up. Well, that's what Job's friends didn't do. (laughs) They didn't get that memo. They missed that text message. They Instead of building him up during his most difficult time in his life, 
they began to tear him down. So much so that they were blaming him for the things that he was suffering. And he knew that 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 just wasn't true. And it didn't make sense to him. And at a time when he needed encouragement and edification and building up, he didn't get it from his friends. And so he lashed out at them. Job has also challenged the theology. He has always accepted, but now that can no longer be trusted. The theology that he and his friends and the people of their day shared is very similar to one that we get caught up in sometimes, which is the righteous prosper and the wicked suffer. His friends came along and said, Job, you know we've always believed that. Righteous, prosper, wicked, suffer. You know, people who travel, they all believe it too. Every one of our ancestors has always believed that. The righteous people prosper. The wicked people suffer. Job, you're suffering. Do the math. (laughs) You must be wicked. You must be evil. You must have committed some horrible sin. And now God is punishing you for it. Job says, well, I've always believed that too. But I don't anymore. Because it's just not true. I look around now in a more objective way. And I realize that there are a lot of righteous people that are suffering. And I realize that there are a lot of wicked and evil and sinful people. That are just getting off scot-free. And going along with their lives with a smile on their face. They're living a long time. They have kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. And all of the family is around them when they finally die in old age. With tons of assets and A great reputation in the community, even though their hearts are far, far away from God. And God has chosen not to do anything about that. And here I am, Joe says, a righteous man, always having lived the best I can in the eyes of God. And I'm suffering like no one I've ever known. What Job and his friends had forgotten is what Logan led us in singing just a few moments ago. Salvation belongs to whom? To our God. And that little fact we're going to emphasize this coming Sunday. As Job gets his wish (laughs) and God answers back. And it comes under the category, be careful what you wish for. Right? For now... Job is taking his swing at God. He's lashed out at his friends, and they were no help. He's challenged the theology he's always accepted, but now realizes is not true. And there's only one left for Job to confront. And that's God himself. Speaking your heart to God, talking back to God. To God, I've said many times that the real power and the real help and the real thrust that is seen in the book of Job is taken from these passages. The times in this great book where Job is speaking. As I've said before, if you want to know how not to do hospital or visitation ministry, read Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. (laughs) Everything they say is wrong. So you'll get a great example of that. God will come along the scene. Elihu is one that we'll mention next week that kind of prepares Job, it seems, for God. And God comes along and and there's power in those words as well, but no answers. And so the real power and strength in the book of Job is in the speeches of Job. When he pours out his heart 
to a God that he just doesn't get. He just doesn't understand. And perhaps you've been there. Perhaps you're there today. Where there's some things going on in our world today that you just don't understand why God is letting go on. Or perhaps there are some things that are going on even in your own life. As we look at the political turmoil we're in right now and will be in, it seems, for the next almost two years, we realize that there's a lot going on in our world that we don't understand. I hope that you've been to see the movie Sound of Freedom. How many of you have? Okay, several have. Let me urge you and encourage you to go see that. It's a powerful, distressing, difficult movie about the child trafficking industry. If you want a little taste of reality and honesty, it still comes from a biblical Christian point of view. But it reminds us that there's great suffering and evil in this world, and it's, and it's right around us. But it also offers a message of hope and the sound of freedom. That's something that we all need. That's something that we all want. But we also realize that there's a time when we have to pour out our heart to God about things that we don't understand. And we don't get why God allows to go on or why our prayers are not being answered or they're being answered with wait or with no or it just doesn't seem like he's there for us. If you've ever felt that way, if you've ever been in that place, that's where Job is, and that's where Job can help. Read the chapters that are the speeches of Job and make them your prayers. Make them your speeches. We're going to share from some of those uh, messages that Job has from four different perspectives today. First of all, Job questions God. Job questions God. And no, there isn't a lightning bolt that comes down and zaps him because he questions God. (laughs) Interestingly enough, at the end of the book, he is affirmed and his friends are told to seek out Job for prayers because Job was honest about what he saw. A couple of examples, chapter 10, the first nine verses. Job says, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I say to God, do not declare me guilty, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me? To spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the plans of the wicked? Do you have eyes of flesh? Do you see as a mortal sees? Are your days like those of a mortal or your years like those of a strong man? That you must search out my faults and probe after my sin? Though you know that I am guilty and that no one can rescue me from your hand? Verse 8, your hand shaped me and made me. Will you now turn and destroy me? Remember that you molded me like clay. Will you now turn me to dust again? You cannot read the speeches of Job and come away saying that Job did not blame God. He does. He does. 
And he questions God about how God is running the universe, specifically as it relates to Job. We turn back to chapter 7 and read these words starting in verse 13. When I think my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint, even then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions, so that I prefer strangling and death rather than this body of mine. I despise my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. What is mankind that you make so much of them, that you give them so much attention? An allusion to Psalm 8. That you examine them every morning and test them every moment. Will you never look away from me or let me alone even for an instant? In Psalm 8, the psalmist is pouring out his heart to God in thanksgiving. Wow, he can't believe that God has created humanity and has put us a little lower than the angels in in a great spot where all of the earth is at our beck and call. We're in charge. But for Job, when he sees this, he says, What is mankind, verse 17, that you make so much of them, that you give them so much attention? Job is crying out, Give it a rest. God, look somewhere else, would you? And even in this passage, starting in verse 13, he says, you know, I go to sleep at night thinking maybe I can fall asleep and get some relief. And he says, God, even in my dreams, you torment me. There's no relief. There's no rest. And I don't understand it. Job questions God. Secondly, Job challenges God challenges God in chapter 9 beginning at verse 14 how then can I dispute with him who can say to him what are you doing God does not restrain his anger even the cohorts of Rahab cowered at his feet how then can I dispute with him how can I find words to argue with him though I were innocent I could not answer him I could only plead with my judge for mercy Even if I summoned him and he responded, I don't believe he would give me a hearing. He would crush me with a storm and multiply my wounds for no reason. He would not let me catch my breath, but would overwhelm me with misery. If it is a matter of strength, he is mighty. And if it is a matter of justice, who can challenge him? Even if I were innocent, which Job believed he were, my mouth would condemn me. If I were blameless, it would pronounce me guilty. Job challenges God, but he realizes he can't win. He can't win against God physically because he's God. He's mighty. And he also can't win with God in an argument because even if he were righteous, he's God. He would win that argument. And so Job is going to challenge God for some way, somehow, to have a fair hearing. And the language of a court is where he goes. Chapter 9, skipping down a bit to verse 32. He is not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me. No more. Then I would speak up without fear of him, but as it now stands with me, I cannot. Job realizes that he's God and Job is not, and, and he, can't, he can't make his case. He longs to go to a courtroom, to go to a place where he could argue with God, where there would be someone, a mediator, in between them. 
a judge that would hear God's, God's uh, statements and then would hear Job's statement and would realize that Job is in the right. In chapter 30, near the end of Job's speeches, we, we read these words as he continues to call out for someone, some way, some format where he could stand before God and challenges God to meet him there. Verse 20 of chapter 30, I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. I know you will bring me down to death, to the place appointed for all the living. Job challenges God. What are you doing here? You made me. Why are you treating me this way? Why can't you hear what I'm saying? When I stand up and speak, all you do is look at me. Job questions God. Job challenges God. Thirdly, Job trusts God. As you read through the speeches of Job, you may think at times, boy, he's given up on his faith. But the reality is, Job has not. He has not given up on his faith. And here's how we know. Who does he go to with these complaints? He goes to God himself. Job chapter 13, the first three verses. My eyes have seen all this. My ears have heard and understood it. What you know, talking to his friends, I also know. I'm not inferior to you, but I desire to speak to the Almighty and to argue my case with God. Somehow or another, Job feels in the midst of all of his pain, in the midst of all of the things he just doesn't get about how God is acting. He says, if I could just talk to him on an equal footing, in court maybe, then he would listen and he would act and he would vindicate me. Job trusts God. Skipping down in chapter 13 to verses 13 through 16. Keep silent, he tells his friends, and let me speak. Then let come to me what may. Why do I put myself in jeopardy and take my life in my hands? Though he slay me, verse 15, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance, for no godless person would dare come before him. And yet Job says, I want to come before you, God. I want to talk to you face to face. I want us to have this out in a courtroom setting with a mediator between us. Because I'm in the right. And Job realizes that no matter how much he is suffering, no matter how much God is hurting him, that's who he wants to go to, to make his case. Job 28, a passage we have mentioned before, starting in verse 23. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. Talking about wisdom. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. This is much like what God is going to come and say in question form. Verse 25, when he established the force of the wind and measured it out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to the human race, Job 28, verse 28, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun all evil is understanding. 
several places in the Proverbs and other wisdom literature like Ecclesiastes, like Job here. Talks about the fear of God, reverencing God, holding God in the highest esteem. Even when you don't understand Him, you fear Him. And you try to do what is right. You serve Him. You obey Him. Job says here, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. To hold God in that highest place. And to shun evil is understanding. We'll sing about that in just a few moments. Trust and obey. To fear God, that is wisdom. To obey Him, that is understanding. In all of this, Job has not given up his faith and trust. I still hope in God, Job says. And then finally, chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. We mentioned this one just last week. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Job held on to that hope in spite of everything he had been through. Everything he had lost. His children, his property, his health, his reputation, everything. And yet he says, I know that there's a redeemer for me. I know that he lives and I know that one day he will take a stand for me. And it's the words of the wonderful song that Stan quoted. It's the words of the wonderful song that we sang at communion time. That we know that our Savior lives. And the question is, why? Why should he love me so? Why would he provide his own son to be my redeemer? Job knew he had a redeemer somewhere that someday would make this all right. But he had no clue exactly how that looked. We know. We know. We know that our Redeemer lives and we know that that Redeemer is Jesus and we know that He made this right by giving His own life for us in love. Job questions God. Job challenges God. Job trusts God. And finally today, Job rests his case and like a prince, waits for God to respond. Again, in that courtroom setting, Resting his case and feeling very confident in it. Chapter 13, beginning at verse 17. Listen carefully to what I say. Let my words ring in your ears. Now that I have prepared my case, I know I will be vindicated. Can anyone bring charges against me? If so, I will be silent and die. Only grant me these two things, God. Then I will not hide from you. Withdraw your hand far from me. Ease up. And stop frightening me with your terrors. That's the first one. Then summon me and I will answer. Relent from all the suffering from your heavy hand against me. And then let's have it out. Summon me, verse 22, and I will answer. Or let me speak and you reply to me. How many wrongs and sins have I committed? Show me my offense and my sin. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? He continues on with this same thought, calling on God, challenging him, going to court, making his plea and his statement, and then resting his case. Chapter 23, the first seven verses. Job replied, even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling. I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. 
(laughs) He's going to eat those words. Verse 5, I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? No, he, God, would not press charges against me. There the upright can establish their inner innocence before him. And there I would be delivered forever from my judge. If I can just find that place where I can state my case and he'll hear it. He'll understand and I'll win because I'm in the right. In chapter 29, Job gets nostalgic and remembers the good old days and how it used to be for him. And then in chapter 30, he goes to now in the present and how everyone speaks so lowly of him. And he has drawn so much reproach from others. And then in chapter 31, he begins to close up his words. Chapter 31, beginning at verse 1. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Can I pause for a minute, guys? Men, boys, can you mark that? I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. Is that a covenant, gentlemen, you have made? I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. For what is our lot from God above, our heritage from the Almighty on high? Is it not ruin for the wicked, disaster for those who do wrong? Does he not see my ways and count my every step? And then from here through the rest of the chapter almost, Job recounts line by line all the good things he has done and all the bad things he has not done. You want to talk about someone that's righteous, someone that's lived this way? That's me, Job says. And then we skip down to chapter 31, verse 35, his final plea. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Okay, Job, what would you do with that if he did? Verse 36, surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on like a crown. I would give him an account of my every step. I would present it to him as to a ruler. I would approach him confidently. I would look at his indictment. I would read it and I would put it on my shoulders with pride. I would wear it like a crown. Basically, in some versions say this, like a prince. I would approach him. That was the confidence that Job felt, and I feel like it went from confidence to arrogance. And so in the end, he'll repent. At the end of this chapter, the final sentence, at the last part of verse 40 of chapter 31, the words of Job are ended. Job questions God. He challenges God. He trusts God in the midst of it all. And then he rests his case and signs his defense and is ready for God to meet him in court, ready for the decision. There is another term for talking back to God, and you know it. It's prayer. Prayer. We don't always think of prayer the way Job prays. But when there's something going on that you don't get, you can tell God that. 
That's called prayer. Prayer is not just thanking God for all the good things, although it's definitely that. Prayer is not just asking God for blessings for you and for your loved ones, although it's definitely that. Prayer is talking back to God. He already knows your heart. And if it's in your heart and you have those questions and things don't make sense to you, tell Him. Tell Him. He can take it. When we think of that song that Logan read, just a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about what? How wonderful things are going? Tell him all about how everything in my life is rosy? Tell him all about our sorrows. Prayer is talking back to God. And in the end, as we have said, God commends Job's honesty over his friend's denials. And tells his friends, go to my servant Job. He treated me honestly. He was honest about what he saw. And he didn't try to deny the reality that he was living. And he didn't try to soft soap the the discontinence that he felt in everything that he saw. Because of his graciousness, God will respond and will help Job to see not the reason for his suffering. He doesn't give a mad answer. But to see the gulf between God's understanding and Job's God. You see, that's when faith is really faith. That's when trust is really trust. When we hold on to God, even though we don't understand Him, even though we don't know why He's acting the way He is or why He's not acting the way we think He should. That's called trust. I trust you, God. And in the end, Job will repent. Somewhere in there, he went too far. And he will repent. And that's obedience. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust. Even when we don't understand it. And to obey. This morning, if we can help you do that, come as we stand. Sing this great old hymn together. When we walk with the Lord in
He took my burdens all the way up to the brighter day. Thank you for this day and for everything you've given us. Father, we thank you so much for giving us a safe place um, to come and worship you and sing praises to you, uh, to learn more about your word. And Father, we thank you, Mr. Allen, for bringing us the message. Um, sometimes we think that our, our lives can be tough and that there's nowhere to go and that, that God has turned his back on us. But Father, that's not the case. We know that you are always there for us. You're always yearning for us to come to you. Father, I pray that as we go into our daily lives, that we would think about that, that we would speak with you and go to you. And Father, I pray you would forgive us of our sins and we would fall short of your perfect will for us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.